0: Oh, am I too loud? I'll try not to, I'll try not to overpower you guys here. Uh, today we're going to look at what may be the most like quoted, savored verse in the Bible for many Christians. Um, and uh, so it's probably fami- very familiar to many of you. Um, but it's from Jeremiah 29, and we're going to look today at Jeremiah 29, verses 10 to 14. We've been going through the book of Jeremiah... And we've been looking at um, basically for the first 28 chapters, he has been um, warning the people in Judah, the Israelites, um, that judgment is coming, that God's judgment is coming upon them, that he's going to send the, the, the nation of Babylon to come and conquer them and carry them away. And it's because they've failed to love him. It's because they failed to love one another, they've failed to be compassionate towards one another. And this judgment is coming. And in chapter 29, there's a little bit of a, a, little bit of a shift because chapter 29, it's, it's basically a letter that he writes to the people after they've been conquered and, in, and, and now are in exile. Okay? So that's the passage we're looking at today. He's, he's writing to the people who are now in exile after they've been conquered and experienced the judgment of God. And right before this, to give you a little bit of context, the chapter before this, he's interacting with some false prophets. And these false prophets are saying, yeah, the judgment of God is coming, but it's not going to be that bad. You know, it's not going to last that long. We're all going to be fine, okay? And, and so this is what Jeremiah says in response. Um, that one of the main false prophets is a guy named Hananiah, and one of the things that Jeremiah says is, Hananiah, you're not going to continue to live, and, and Hananiah does end up dying because of his false prophecy. But then uh, Jeremiah writes now to the exiles, and this is what he says in in verses 10 to 14 in chapter 29. He says this, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Let's pray. Father, you are good we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for giving us your word to help us to understand that we are loved and that is who we are. Father, we pray that you would open up your word to us, that you would open up your truth, that you would use your spirit to work in our hearts and help us to see what you want us to see here. Help us to listen to you we pray that, that we would truly be changed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your well-being or your wholeness or your, your welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Uh, how many of you guys are pretty familiar with that verse? You've probably heard that verse before, right? You, you might have that verse on a coffee mug. You might have that verse, uh, you might have posted that verse before on your Facebook page or seen somebody post it on Instagram. Um, you might even know somebody that has a tattoo of that on some place in their body. For I know the plans I have for you, right? Um, at the very least, I'm sure at least 70% of us probably have it on some distressed wooden wall hanging that we bought at Hobby Lobby on our wall, right? For I know the plans I have for you. Um, it makes sense. It's a verse that reminds us that the future is going to be better than things are right now. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a verse that, that gives us hope because, you know, who, who doesn't struggle in the present? Who doesn't have some things that they'd like to be changed for the better in the present, Right? Every single one of us wants a better future, and here God seems to promise it. I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare, plans for your wholeness and not for evil, plans to give you hope and a future. It makes sense. Um, None of us live in a present that is so perfect that we can't find some kind of, you know, (laughs) something to cling to in this verse. And that's, I think, why it speaks to so many of us, why we love to cling to it so much. Jeremiah wrote these words to a people who had been conquered by Babylon. Um, Their homes had been decimated. Um, Many of them had been carried off into exile to live in Babylon, to be taken away from their homes. They had experienced severe loss and heartbreak. And they were probably wondering, you know, if if there was any plan at all of moving forward that included them. Um, Uh, Was there any plan? Did God have any sort of plan at all as they looked towards the future um, that included their happiness? I mean, they had really messed up and they had experienced God's judgment in a powerful way. And in the midst of this, God says to them, I know the plans I have for you. He has plans. He has plans for his people. And I believe this verse does apply to all of his people throughout all of history he has plans for them he has plans for us if you are one of his children the question is what exactly do these plans involve when we hang this verse on our wall what is it that we're really clinging to what is it that we're 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 really you know hoping in what are these plans and that's what i want to talk about for a few minutes this morning Um, what would you say, what, what, what characterizes these plans that God has for his people? The first thing I want to point out, and it's the thing that all of us really try to hold on to, is the fact that God's plans are good. God's plans are good. This is what draws us to this verse. God says, my plans for your, are for your welfare, for your wholeness, and not for evil. He, he tells the, the Israelites, after, he's, after they've been sent into exile, he tells them, I am going to restore your fortunes. I'm going to bring you back to the land that I have given you, to the land that that represents my provision for you, that represents joy, that represents rest and peace. I am committed to, to giving that to you. God is committed to the joy of his people, the happiness of his people. He says that multiple times, that he's going to restore their fortunes, right? He's going to bring them back to the land, right? His plan's are good. He cares about giving his people what will bring them joy, and he promises to bring them back. Um, and he and uses this word, actually, this word that, that in the I think that in the bulletin it says welfare. The version I just read says wholeness. The word um, that is translated as welfare is the word shalom, which you might be familiar with. You might have heard people talk about before, but the word shalom is a word that means a, a deep sense of peace and well-being and wholeness it's it's it even goes beyond that it's it's a sense of of what life is like when everything is right when everything is the way it should be and nothing is out of place and you're able to just be like oh yes it's just the the joy of everything being perfect right that's the idea of shalom and uh And that's what God wants to give to his people, this deep sense of shalom. Have you ever had one of those rare moments in life when you feel like, you know, it's just a rare moment where you're just like, oh, man, it doesn't get any better than this. Have you ever had one of those moments or some of those moments occasionally? I mean, for, for us, for me, often it is when my family is sitting around the table and my kids are all home and everybody's together. And everybody's, you know, we're just enjoying a good meal together. And, uh, and everybody's laughing. And nobody has any, like, overwhelming problems that are, like, weighing on them at the moment. And it's just like, oh, man, this is good. It doesn't get any better than this. It's just like, you know, a deep sense of peace and joy. That's, sh- that's shalom. That's just a little glimpse of shalom, actually. Because what God promises is, like, a million times that feeling. That is what God promises us. A shalom where there is no even tiny little bit of doubt that, that, that something could go wrong. <laughs> Everything is right. Everything is good. And this is what God promises to his people. Um, he promises to, to the Israelites to bring them back to the place that he's given them, to, to give them rest where they will, they will be provided for, where they will be able to feast together. And, uh, and so in, in a small sense, that, again, that's kind of a, a taste of shalom but it's not really the real thing because you know even as they come back to the land they're still going to face challenges and problems right and so really the, the land that God gives to his people is always meant to be really symbolic of something greater in the future something that still awaits us when Jesus returns and makes all things new when, when God brings heaven down to earth and he creates a new heaven and a new earth and there's no more sin, no more crying, no more suffering, no more pain, that is shalom. That is the shalom that he promises each and every one of us. That is the shalom that is an absolutely part of his plan for every single person that is part of his family. That is what we have to look forward to. Um, no matter how hard life gets right now, you have a, a sense of peace and joy that is awaiting you that you can't even imagine right now. You can't even comprehend it. And that is waiting for you. But I think even more than that, God's, God's plans don't just include this, this far-off you know, future that is perfect because that is incredibly great, but it's hard for us to kind of latch on to that, right? Um, I think God's plans also include these kind of moments, that he lo- that that he loves to be good to us. He loves to give good gifts. He loves to give little glimpses, pieces of shalom all along the way. You know those times where you're sitting around with people that you love, and you're just enjoying being with one another. Those times when you, uh, when when God provides for you in an unexpected way, and you're just like ah, and you just want to praise Him. Those times when when uh, you know you you're you're able to appreciate or you you notice. Something incredibly beautiful, whether it's you know, a piece of music or art or, or the beauty of creation, there's these little moments of shalom that God gives us. God delights in giving us good things to, to, to give us joy even in the midst of the, the, the imperfection of this world right now. And, and, and we need to get in the habit of looking for those things. Looking for the, the, little, the little moments of shalom that God gives us, that God has planned for us today and this week. I think for some of us, it's, it's hard for us to really believe that God wants to give me anything good. Um, for some of us, we tend to think, you know, well, I don't really deserve it. Um, and let me just remind you, this is why I have to highlight this. The goodness that God plans for us, it's, it's a goodness that is wholly undeserved. He wants to give us good things. He wants to pr- pr- provide things that will bring us joy and shalom, even though we all have failed to deserve it. We've all sinned. We've all turned our back. him i mean think about the context of this promise the statement that he makes when he says i know the plans i have for you plans to give you hope and a future plans to restore your fortunes and bring you back and give you joy right when does he say this he says this after he has been telling them over and over again you're not listening you're not loving me you're not loving the people around you and i'm going to bring my judgment upon you and it's going to be painful And yet in the midst of all of that, he says, I'm going to bring you back. They haven't done anything in exile to deserve this. And yet he says, I'm going to bring you back. Um, This is what God does. He delights in giving good gifts and bringing joy and and glimpses of shalom to those who don't deserve it. That's good news. Um, It reminds me of a couple verses in the New Testament. In Romans 5.8 says this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When did did Jesus die for us? When did Jesus give his life, lay down his life to pay for our sin? He didn't do it after we'd done something to deserve it. He did it while we were still sinners. In Romans 8, 32, he says this, He, that's God, "who um, who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? That's in Romans 8, 32. It says, God didn't spare his son. God gave up the thing that was most precious to him, his very own son, Jesus, who laid down his life. If God didn't hold back his son from us, how will he not be committed to giving us everything good? The fact that God gave his son, and Jesus, to, to live and to die for us is a reminder that God is committed. I mean, the little tiny little pieces of shalom that he he gives us throughout our lives, throughout the week, those are small potatoes compared to what he's done in Christ. That is what God does. That's his plan. His plan is good. We need to believe it. It's not based on whether I deserve it or not. It's based on what Jesus has done to earn it for me. And so I can count on it. I can count on God wanting to bring joy, wanting to give me pieces of shalom, glimpses of shalom. Okay, We need to expect it. So God's plan is good. Um, But secondly, having said that, I'm going to have to break this to you. Um, God's plan is hard. Remember the context I said before. The chapter before this, Jeremiah is interacting with his prophet Hananiah. In chapter 28, Hananiah is saying, Oh, guys, yes. God's going to judge us, but it's not going to be that bad. It's only going to last 2 years. That's what Hanani says in chapter 28. Two times he says this. It's only going to be 2 years. We're going to be back in the homeland. We're going to be it's all going to be good. We're going to be fine. And then what does Jeremiah say in verse 10? Look at verse 10. He says, "When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you." Now, I was a math major but I don't think you need a math major to explain to you the difference between two years and 70 years. There's a world of difference there. I mean, two years, if, you know, if, if life is hard and difficult, you can, you can if, if you know it's going to last two years, you can, you can hang in there and endure it, right? 70 years, that's a lifetime. That means that the adults who were carried off into exile, guess what? They're going to die there. They're not going to come back to the promised land, most likely. The little kids who are taken into exile, they're going to be old. They're going to spend their lives in Babylon, having lost their homes, living lonely, regretting things, feeling shame. That's part of God's plan, too. (laughs) You know, when we hang that verse on our wall, for I know the plans I have for you, it includes the 70 years. You realize this. It includes 70 years of hardship, of difficulty, of pain, of loss. But it's important to notice that the hardship, the pain, the loss, isn't just to torture us. God doesn't just say, you know, I'm gonna, you're going to stay there 70 years just because I want to make you suffer. What does he say? There's, there's, there's a purpose to it all. If you look at verse 12, what does he say in verse 12? He says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is what I think the purpose of these 70 years are is to tenderize the people's hearts to their need for god to their need to pray it's it's these 70 years are there in order to deepen the people's prayer lives to help them to see that they cannot live apart from god's sustenance and provision and grace they cannot move forward without him and he wants to 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 work on their hearts and shape their hearts so that their hearts will, their their first instinct will be to cry out to Him and say, God, I need you. That is the lesson that I need to learn more than any other lesson in my life, is is that I need God on a daily basis, on a moment by moment basis. I, I have such a hard time understanding that lesson because I think that I can generate my own happiness. I think that I can generate my own, um, my own joy and my own security and peace and stability, whether it's through the work that I do or, or, or the money that I accumulate or the relationships that I invest in or, or work hard at. I think that I can generate it for myself, but I can't. I need to learn the lesson that I, I am in desperate need of God to intervene in my life. I'm in desperate need of God to sustain me every day of my life. And this is what these 70 years of hardship, I think, are meant to teach the people, to deepen in them this awareness of how desperately they need to pray. And Tyler was just talking earlier about that, that we 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 desire for our church to be a praying church. I desire for myself that I would be a praying person. And sadly, the the one of the, the primary things that teach me to pray is when I'm hurting, is when I'm going through things that are hard. And that's the purpose. This is the plan. This is what allowing seventy years of living in exile is meant to do to a person. This is and this isn't that, that God is authoring, you know, he's not the one that that authors our pain and the things that we go through, but he allows them to happen in order to, to make our hearts more tender and soft. And quick to cry out to him. Um, this, is what he, this is why he allows us at times to have to sit in a hospital bed for days. To move us to understand how much we need him. How much we need to seek him and pray. This is why he allows us to, to wake up morning after morning with a chronic health issue. To move us to pray. This is why he allows us to experience loneliness for months or even years to move us to pray. This is why he allows us to to live in family circumstances that are incredibly dysfunctional and hard. To move us to seek him and to pray. God allows us to endure hardship. That's part of his plan. That's part of his plan. But I want to leave us with the most incredible aspect of God's plan, which is this, in verse 14, that God's plan is to be found by us. His plan is to be found by us. He doesn't just say it, he declares it. Did you see that in verse 14? I will be found by you, declares the Lord. It's actually a promise. I will be found by you by you, the promise that he makes to the people in exile. I will be found by you. As you struggle and as you hurt and as you pray and as you seek me, I will be found. This is the good news. Um, God is taking responsibility for us finding and knowing him. Us finding God isn't dependent on our ability to seek him. It's dependent on his willingness to be found. God wants to be found by his people. God wants to be known by his people. God wants to be experienced by his people. He wants to be found by you. you. Um, He knows that the thing that will bring us greatest joy is knowing him. Being in his presence, experiencing his presence every day of our lives. That is what will bring us greatest joy, and that's what he wants. He delights in giving us himself. Every year at Easter... We, um, we make these Easter baskets for our kids, and then we hide them and make a bunch of different clues. And so we give each kid a, a set of clues, and they have to follow these clues throughout the house in order to find their Easter, bas- Easter basket. Honestly, Kim does 99% of the work. I hide a couple things right at the end. <laughs> but the kids love it. And, and the reason the kids love it is that they've, they've never not found their Easter basket. You know why? Because we 're not going to let them not find it that's a lot of that's a lot of negatives, right? I mean we are committed to making sure they find their Easter baskets. They are going to find them because we want them to find them because we know that what's in that basket is like candy that they love and presents that they are going to be psyched to open and everything and so we're not going to let them you know be completely clueless and miss it, even though some of them are pretty clueless at times you know like we'll put a we 'll put a uh, a clue that says that has a picture of the refrigerator on it, you know, and instead of going to the refrigerator, they'll like walk out onto the front porch, like looking for something. And and, and at that point, we'll be like, you know, we'll kind of like gently guide them back in. It's like, doesn't that look like something that's in the kitchen, you know? And, and if, if we have to, we will like, you know, like really just push them that way. And, and we do whatever we can in order to make sure that they find this thing that we know is going to bring them joy because that's going to bring us joy right? God wants to be found. He wants you to know the depth and complexity of his love for you. He wants you to know the, the, the just mind-blowing size of his power. He wants you to know his unshakable faithfulness and the fact that he can be counted on no matter what in every single circumstance in life. He wants you to to know the height of his wisdom and his justice and his compassion and his mercy. He wants you to experience his presence. He wants you to find him. You know, in in John, um, the book of John, Jesus is quoted as saying, this is eternal life. This is how life is experienced. This is what life is. You know what life is? Jesus defines it for us. I've mentioned this before. It's, It's to know God and the one that he has sent That's to know God and to know Jesus. That is what eternal life is. That is what shalom is. It's knowing him. It's finding him. And he's not hiding from you. He wants you to find him. The only reason you might not find him, it's because of you. (laughs) Because you're insistent on missing him. Because you refuse to miss him. He wants to be found. He makes a promise to the Israelites that, that they will find him. And I think that promise is absolutely true for each of us. This is where we go wrong. I, I think that we look at this verse and we hang it on our wall, or maybe we go through the, you know, we we get it tattooed on our arm even. And we think about, you know, God knows the plans he has for me. These are he, God's got good plans for me. And what we do is when we think about the plans of God is we think about all the things that we want God to give us. We, want, we think about how we want God to fix our life. And that's kind of our vision of God's plans for us, of God's good plans for us. But the reality is, is that, that the, the thing that make God's plans good is not fixing everything. It's by being with me and showing himself to me. That is what God makes God's plans truly good. is himself. And that's what he absolutely wants to give us. That's what, that's what he has done in coming into the world. And Jesus Christ, as he came into the world, he, he came so that we might find him. He, he was the, the, the image of the invisible God to show us who God is, that we might find him. He he allowed himself to be hung on a cross to die for our sins so that we might find him. He rose from the dead in display of all of his power so that we might find him. This is God's plan for his people, to lavish good on us, to allow hardship to help us, to, to move us to seek him, but ultimately to be found by him or to find him. You might be asking, do do I really fit into these plans? How do I fit into these plans? How do I know that God wants me to find him? Do his words about Israel really apply to me here? Um, And I'll just read from Ephesians 1. I'll read for a few verses from Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, verses 7 to 14, it says, In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, the mystery of his plans, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. All of God's plans are set forth in Jesus. As a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, according to the counsel of his plans, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be the praise, to the praise of his glory. In him, that's in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Did you hear that? In him, it's in Christ. The key is is Jesus. What is your relationship like with Jesus? Have you received Jesus? Have you trusted in him? Then this promise here in Jeremiah 29 about the plans of God, then then this promise applies to you. God longs to do good for you, to to work for your joy. God God is going to use all of the hardship in your life to move you, to deepen your faith, to deepen your prayer life, so that you might seek him. And And it's in Jesus, if you've received him, that you will find God or have found him. It's in Jesus that you will know him better. And it's only in Jesus. And so let's fix our eyes on Christ and let's rest in the fact that we can take these plans to heart, that we have a good father who longs to give us joy and to work for our shalom and let's look forward to it. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us move beyond just our what we've all come to kind of believe and accept about this promise that you make in Jeremiah 29. Father, we pray that you would uh, that this this promise would be a thing that ignites a deeper love for you and an awareness, a, a, a greater desire to seek you and know the depths of who you are and to know that you want to show yourself to us and reveal yourself to us, that we would be satisfied and made whole. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're please stand while I replace my battery.